The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by mindful wellness. I have to tell you guys, I am down an additional, I think two to three pounds since I started with them. So I've only been working with them for a few weeks and I couldn't be happier. I'm down a total of about 26 pounds since I started my weight loss journey about a year ago. And they have this amazing challenge that's starting in January. So it's a 90 day weight loss challenge that launches in January and you can embrace the new year with a refreshed and revitalized version of yourself. It's your time to shine, to prioritize your well-being, and embark on a transformative journey. This 90-day weight loss program is tailor-made for anyone eager to reclaim their health and vitality. Don't do it alone. Rally your friends and do it together. Let's conquer this challenge. Get set for a thrilling ride to a healthier and happier you. I know I'm taking the challenge. I hope you will too. Text 310-220-4543, or you can go straight to their website, mindfulwellness.com to find out more. And now back to the podcast. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, I just went to, to, I'm recording on a Sunday today because my beautiful guest had COVID And I always like to do them a couple days before. I like my stories to be relevant because you never know what's going on in the world. So if I record them, like sometimes I re-record or I re-release episodes, but sometimes I'll I'll record something out and then something mage will happen. And I'm like, I cannot... I, w- I wish I could talk about this and it was a closer to the actual events. This is the actual closest that you could get to a podcast being released. And I want you to know, Julie, I am missing my beloved Chiefs. They're going to kick, they're going to be at <laughs> kickoff any second. And I am a huge Chiefs fan. I know that's weird, but I am. And it has nothing to do with Taylor Swift. I became a Chiefs fan when I watched the documentary about all these quarterbacks on Netflix. I think it's called Quarterback. And I, then I became... That. It's really good. And then I became a fan of Patrick Mahomes. Anyway, that's my first thing. My second thing is I did a post the other day, and this is kind of a funny story. I talk a lot. I've sometimes, I don't always listen back to my episodes because I find my voice extraordinarily annoying. I, I don't know why I do a podcast if I think that about my voice, but I sometimes, it drives me crazy because I catch things when I'm saying starting my podcast. I like to say like a lot. I'm just very self-critical, but I happen to be listening to a couple and I talk a lot about eyesight and how I'm too vain. If you're watching this on YouTube to wear my glasses. So I really can't see it. I mean, I can see, but it's blurred, especially if there's writing or up close. And so I posted this picture. If you follow me on Instagram at judging Megan soft plug, 
I posted this picture of myself and my glasses had cracked in half when I went to Italy for Christmas. So I did not know what to do because I really can't see a menu. I can't, I now need them for distance too. So sometimes I joke that you'll see me in Target or shopping and I don't think I'm Madonna because I'm wearing sunglasses. It's because I'm too vain to wear my regular glasses. So I'd rather wear my <laughs> prescription sunglasses. So anyways, I posted this picture and it's me in these like cracked sun, reading glasses or actual glasses. And thank God my husband was able to glue them back together. I look like I was in the movie Revenge of the Nerds. I'm dating myself. And <laughs> I was able to get back to the United States and read magazines on that whatever, read, watch a movie on the plane. But what I realized is aging is really, really difficult for me. I might bring you in, Julie. Um, yeah. Because... It's like you have to surrender to these things that you just absolutely do not want to surrender to, mm -hmm. um, whether it be like hormonal issues, your body changing, um, eyesight is huge. I hate that I can't see anymore. If you know me, I'm extraordinarily vain and, um, and that's not a good thing, but I'll, at least I admit it. And I, the glasses thing drives me crazy. But when I wasn't able to, when I took myself out of the situation and I went, okay, thank God I have the ability to still see. Thank God I have the money to be able to buy glasses. Thank God. And you kind of like step out of the box and, and I'm trying really hard as I age to embrace this process. It is absolutely not fun for me and it's hard for everybody I know. But it's also one of those things where you're like, okay, I'm pretty lucky. I'm still here. Oh, well, I have to wear glasses. I'm going to wear a cute pair. What are your thoughts? I'll br Before I bring you in, because you are a therapist, so maybe you can really tell me that I'm cray cray. Go ahead. No, I actually was thinking like internally, though, don't you still feel like you're in your 20s? Yes. That's the hardest part about aging. That. Yes, that yes. that truly is because internally I don't feel like the adult that I am. No, but yes, externally things are changing that you just can't control. Like you look uh, in the mirror and you're—I mean, I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, I'm getting older, but you know, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to continue to do all the ridiculous things that I do. I mean, seriously, if you told me to sm smear poo on my face and it would make <laughs> me ten years younger, I would probably do it. Like I'm willing to do whatever. But if I forget, like I'll be talking to my daughter and her friends and they're in eighth grade. <laughs> I'll be mm -hmm. like, what are you guys doing? I'm a cool mom and I'm just not like we're aging. We're getting old. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Go ahead. I talked over you. I'm notorious for that. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I definitely feel all of that. I think that's completely normal. Um, it, it is hard because there's so much out of our control as we get older and we still feel like we're young. Kids are a very humbling experience. I have a sixth grader at the moment, sixth and fifth. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there is, I am, I am just mom. I know nothing. Um, and it's just the, the way it is, unfortunately, it's and I so think, true. you know, just kind of going with it as much as you can and knowing that everybody is kind of in the same situation with it. But don't you think like, it's such a valid thing that you just brought up that as you age, like, so say when I'm 70 something, am I still going to feel like I'm still, I don't know. I, it's I a think weird so. thing. You do. Okay. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you yeah, look in the mirror and, I, but that's, that is such a difficult thing. And then, you know, things are getting harder. Um, physically I mean we're I'm oh, thankfully yeah. okay but like you know I just went to a bar class this morning and it was so hard and I was like why did you just do that you're not going to be able to move tomorrow um <laughs> just all this stuff anyways I could do a whole yeah. podcast where I, I just mean, talk to you about aging you Go can ahead. you can sleep funny and be thrown off for a day where you know right? in your 20s you could sleep on a couch and and be totally fine or sleep on the floor and be fine it just yeah it's good. It's Aging good time. Anyways, the whole point is, thank God we're still here. Like yes. appreciate life. 
appreciate the little things, appreciate each period because time is fleeting. I talk a lot about how fast time goes. And I think that's why we identify as being young because we just feel like we were young a decade ago. Like I feel like I was in my twenties a decade ago. I was not. So it's a very weird thing. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud, and I've been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening judging Megan. Anyways, everyone, I want to, I want to um, introduce <laughs> you to my guest who has already been kind enough to pipe in and talk about this. Julie Payne is a licensed marriage and family counselor. She specializes, Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, because I now I'm putting my glasses back on. She specializes in children that have gone through high conflict divorce or anything high conflict. Am I saying this all correctly, tell me if I'm not. Yes. Yes. I specialize in children and adolescents who have experienced a traumatic event. um, Mm -hmm. And that can be from a car accident to a loss. And unfortunately, high conflict divorces in there as well. Okay. Okay. Well, I, um, being a parent and you're a parent, I get, I have a lot of listeners that are parents. And so I like to mix it up and do episodes about, um, and my husband is, this is kind of funny, but he's like, why do you do so many episodes about with, with, about divorce and your friends are all are going through <laughs> divorces or he's <laughs> like, are you trying to tell me are something? We, are you sending a message? Yes. No, no, no. I love him. He's the best. Um, but it's just interesting, um, that I, I stumble upon people and I met Julie through a mutual friend and I just was like, you need to come on because I really need to pick your brain on, you know, these children that are, first of all, it's nearly impossible to be a kid right now. I can't even be an adult. It really is. Can you start there? Like talk about what it's like being just a kid without all the other stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, and and you said it, being an adult right now, every, everything is so difficult. I don't know a single person who is not struggling with something at the moment. You know, I feel like the last several years since COVID hit has just been honestly a shit show Mm -hmm. for almost everybody trying to, you know, kind of figure that out. Um, Thinking back when COVID hit, you know, kids were already stressed with, dealing with social media. We never had to deal with social media, you know, growing up. And thank God. Thank God. That we I would did never have not, been employed. Uh, yeah. No. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's there's that pressure. And then there's still a huge pressure about, uh, you know, getting good grades and, and expectations of taking AP classes and all these honor classes and getting into a good college. And, you know, even, even in families where, it's not the parents putting that pressure on the kid and actually they do a really good job with it. There's still this tremendous amount of pressure that they're getting from the school of, you know, they're not going to get into a good college if they get a B in PE, which is just ridiculous, you know? So prior to the pandemic, it, it was already really bad. And, and within the mental health, we've seen it just increase Mm -hmm. exponentially since the pandemic has actually, you know, kind of hit and how we handled the the pandemic with school. I think we did a, a terrible job expecting parents to be teachers at home and kids to act like, you know, it's a normal school day and get things done. That created a lot of problems. But what we're seeing is that children's mental health right now is at crisis levels. It is mm-hmm. so bad the the rates of you know suicidal ideation are really high self harm are really high depression and anxiety are really high kids don't don't have the resources or the resilience that we would want them to have they're delayed several years right now just from covid 
Um, and I'm seeing that from, you know, my youngest in elementary school and I teach in at the college level. I've seen it across all levels. So it really is this bigger thing than I think most people realize. Um, you know, and so with that, things just continue to get worse in the world. There, wars are happening, racism, you know, everything kind of compounding on itself. Adults are at their breaking point and kids are are there too. And yet we expect them to still go to school every day, pay attention, get their homework done, you know, not talk back, do their chores. Um, it, and it's just, it's too much for them. So really making sure that kids have an, an outlet and a place to just be. Just well, be let themselves. me ask you a question because when we were kids, um, I, like my, I would go to school, no phone, right? We didn't have phones. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Um, my mom would open the garage after school and my brother and I, we had lived on a court in Potomac. I grew up in Potomac, Maryland, and we would just, all of the kids in the court, we would all play like kick the can. We'd all be outside. Um, and that was it. And so we were able to like leave school, not think about it until the next day. So yeah. now these kids and we as adults, I talk about this all the time. I can't even deal with, I blo I've blocked like 5 trillion people through, I went through this like horrible friend breakup with a bunch of, I call, I call them the Karens. And I had to <laughs> I had to like go through my phone and block like half the town because I can't deal with the trauma of being reminded of what I went through or mm -hmm. seeing pictures of things that I wasn't invited to. I don't care now really, but at the time I had to do that for my my mental, my mental health. Um, yeah. I think about what my daughter who's 13, almost 14 goes through and she's my biggest regret. I say this all the time is why did I cave and give her a phone in sixth grade? Everyone else yeah. had one. Everyone was like, everyone's getting a phone and this and that. And now she's addicted to it. You can, we cannot see what they're doing, no matter who you are, or what you think this is deadly for these kids because they have filters. I think the Kardashians ruined our society. Don't get oh, me started. Oh, and, um, and so I have this child that if you look at her, you're like, you're perfect just the way you are, but then nothing is perfect for her. And um, I'm very open with my own struggles with mental health. Suicide prevention is one of my biggest platforms. And um, like you touched on, our suicide rates have quadrupled since COVID. Yeah. So we have this yeah. like big giant fireball of their brains not being fully developed. Um, they're supposed to be able to process um, social media and filters. They're supposed to be able to go to school, have straight A's, if they don't, if they are, don't excel in sports, and I might be a little specific to where we live because it's very, very competitive, but I think it's competitive it across the competitive. board, it is. across the country, across the world. I have listeners everywhere. And at the end of the day, they're supposed to play the sport, do the homework, go on social media, not mm -hmm. be included in parties, um, get into the high school they want, get into the college they want, and just be okay. And yep. there's, there's no possible way, even with the kid that seems to be the healthiest kid out there. And those are the kids that you see. And you're like, that's the healthiest kid out there. Look at that kid, this, this, and this. And that's the kid that's killing themselves. Right. Yep. yep. Okay. So can you talk Absolutely. a little bit more about that? And maybe how, like, it's impossible to like pick this up and peel it like an onion of solutions. Yeah. But what do we do? Like, honestly, what do we do? Yeah. So part, part of that, you know, thinking back to our childhood, the social media wasn't out there. And there's always been this, you know, kind of comparison of all the peers are going to college. So you want to go to college. Mm -hmm. Now with social media, you can see exactly where everybody is going. So it just kind of ups the level of, you know, oh, all these people are getting into IVs. I need to get into the IV or I, you know, there's this level of comparison that's just unattainable. Yeah. For one, 
Um, but but yes, what a 4.0 did when we were young is is nothing now. Uh, regularly, I have kids who have a 5.0 and they're on a sports team and they're on clubs and they do volunteer or work. And that's like the expectation for college. So what I typically will tell families and kids that I'm working with who are who are struggling with this is one, college is important, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different routes that somebody can go. And I am all for college. Again, I teach at at the university level. I am all for higher education, but it's not for everybody. And you can, there are so many schools. There are so many colleges out there. If you need a degree for the career path that you want, then then go into that. But where you go to college really doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Hey, Julie, I have to interrupt you and tell you the following. Yeah. And I have to tell my kids this more often. Um, your friend Megan went to Lynchburg College. They've changed it to University of Lynchburg. It was known, it's still known, I think, as a top party school. Um, mm-hmm. I survived. I was a theater major. Now I'm a, I make my living doing podcasting, which is totally weird. Didn't even exist when I was in college. Who honestly goes to college and does what their major is and sticks with it. And that is something that we really need to reiterate with our kids because parents in general, especially if you live in an affluent area, they are putting pressure, maybe not even thinking about it on purpose. Maybe they're great parents, but they're like, we want what's best for you. You need to go to such and such college. And nobody, I don't think, what is the statistic? I don't even know what it is, but nobody ever sticks with their major ever. No, no. And honestly, most of the time, like in my field, most are second career that come into the field. Yeah. It, you know, there are so many people who spend so much money and so much time going for a major and they, they don't like it. It doesn't fill them up. It doesn't, you know, spark their passion. That is the biggest thing. If, Mm -hmm. you know, really just following your passion and what you want to do. And if you do that, then you'll never work a day in your life. You will truly love and enjoy what you do instead of trying to push, you know, a career path. The other thing I really struggle with is, you know, pushing that college and career path. The the world is not the same, right? We are not expected to go work for a corporation for, you know, until retirement. There's so many more entrepreneurs out there. There's so many different ways to make a living. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to to hone in on on what each individual really wants to do and how that can kind of fit within the world. Also generational wealth. Like there is mm-hmm. no way that these kids, the pressure that's on them to, you know, have the same amount of wealth that some um, in many times their parents do, the world is changing. Does it mean that there's anything wrong with like going to a vocational college if that's what you no. want to do? Or, you know, with with my kids, I mean, I was a theater major. I was very lucky that, you know, I was never, I was not a very good student. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> but my youngest is like, mom, I want to be a theater major. I want to be just like, I want to do what you did. So she's in dance and she sings and she does all these things. I, I don't know. I just want that. I want my kids to just be kids and, and have what they, they're all being cheated. That's the saddest part about this. They are. They're being cheated. We don't have kick the can. We can't let our kids go outside and play, play ghost in the graveyard. And if you can, and you're living in a different country or you don't have um, devices and you have the ability to feel safe letting your kids go outside, make sure they're going outside. Um, mm-hmm. I have a pact with a few mom friends of mine, of my younger daughter. And I'm like, whatever we do, please, can we just agree not to get our kids phones till eighth grade? Because yeah. I've, I've seen what has happened and, um, and it's really bad. And, and in this past, I think in the past week, I saw some article about how there's a study. I don't know if it's in Canada or some other country about 
how they're saying that phones are as deadly. Do you know what I'm talking about? This study that just came out? I I don't know that study, but there has been a lot on just the addictive properties to it. And yeah. On honestly, if they're it, banning in an phones, ideal world, that's what it is. Yeah. They're banning they, phones. I can't I think it's in Canada. I could be wrong, but go ahead. For young when, for kids under a certain age. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Well, honestly, you know, with brain development and things like Mm -hmm. that, no kid should have a phone before high school and preferably not even like then because it is Mm -hmm. just so difficult. Adults have a hard time putting it down. You know, I can't can't put mine down. I'm addicted (laughs) to it. That's my point. Well, also, it's like how many times do you sit there and you're like, get off of it, get off of it. And you're still scrolling. I am addicted to my phone. I hate that I'm addicted to my phone. I'm on it because I do a lot of posting for this, but I also am like shopping. I do everything on my phone, every single thing. And I find in the middle of the night, I'll pick up the phone. Um, You know, if I'm having trouble sleeping um, and now I'm not actually, cause I'm taking this great supplement. I'm not going to do the plug, but it's, it's a magnesium <laughs> supplement and it, it really is oh, great. Nice. It's one of my advertisers. Um, Anyways, by optimizer. So you'll hear the ad, but it, I really swear by it. That's not, let me get off the That's ad. Awesome. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it's, they're so addicting that it's, oh, anyways, I could just go off on a tangent about phones for an entire episode. Um, but it's but also to, the way the, the world is gone. Like yeah. we, we use it in such a practical way. And I will, I will actually give you a way to kind of make it a little bit easier Because we do use it so often and need it for work and networking and things like that. Having a day where you purposely leave it at home and go outside and go do something. There is something freeing about not having it on you. You're not reachable. It is completely your time. And it doesn't have to be, you know, all day. You could do half day or a couple hours, whatever is doable for you. Um, And then doing that as a family too, having a designated time where, electronics are just off completely. Like, like maybe something like when you come home from school, you put them in a basket. I've heard people say certain things like that. Um, I just, Mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm in the depths of, um, teen, um, hell. So I, I'm not being listened to and that sounds great on paper, but to me, if I went to my, like, oh, my daughter will be 14 in a few days. And I'm like, let's take away your phone. I don't, I guess what it is. And I'll be real is I'm too lazy to deal with the drama and the after the fight. Yeah. The fight. I don't want to do the fight. Yeah. So what do you say to parents? So with that? Yeah. No. And I, trust me, I get it. I mean, I, I struggle with the fight too. It is real. And, and with that, I think it, it's important to be realistic with with the limitations we have, right? Our, we talked about it at the beginning that you know the world is not okay, adults are not okay. If you're if you do not have the bandwidth to have that fight with your kid, don't beat yourself up over it. We are all just doing the best we can right now with the way the world is. Mm. With that, I I would you know talk to talk to my daughter, talk to the family and say, okay, let's this Sunday morning, let's just spend a couple hours. Let's go for a walk. We're going to leave the phones at home. So that way they have enough time to plan around it. You know, it's not like an immediate, they can't have their phone, but it's a designated, designated, I can't talk right now, um, designated time where it it is electronic free and you guys are just really connecting, preferably something outside. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's do a, but let me just piggyback and say one more thing on this. Um, what are we supposed to, I mean, I know this, it's like peeling the onion back, like I said, but I am so stressed out, like not only just about the politics and the racism and all the horrible things that are going on in the world. What, what do we tell our kids? Like, what are, what am I supposed to say? Cause I don't even feel like it's going to be okay. I don't, I wake up at night and I go, our environment is screwed. Um, it's scary. What, what do you tell parents to kind it, of do in these situations? It is, 
It is scary. One, one of the things, um, you know, that for me that I do, and you kind of talked about this earlier, like, you know, your husband, your husband talks about why do you always talk about divorce? Mine is like, why do you bring this stuff home? Cause I'm always watching documentaries and, Mm -hmm. you know, usually some pretty atrocious stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, what, as, as bad as things are right now, and the more and more that comes out as bad as that seems for me, it gives me hope because that none of this is new. It's all been there. It's all been under the surface. It's just finally coming up. And now that it is coming up, we are becoming more and more aware of it. And that is the first part of change to have awareness of what is actually happening in our world and in our society and how things function, bringing that to light will pave the way for restructuring. It's kind of like you have to burn everything down before you can build it back up. And we're in that burning things down phase. And so I, I turn to the hope of, you know, as bad as things are, we're aware of them now. They've always been there. Racism has always been there. It's just been brought to the surface of how how bad and deep it actually is. Um, same with all of, you know, the corrupt systems and what's happening to the world. Um, and I think for for our kids, you know, generation-wise, they are so much farther than we were right? We were expected to just kind of fall in line and and go along with the plan. They are questioning things. They are Mm -hmm. pushing back. They are not just going to accept sitting in a cubicle nine to five and, you know, working the rest of their life. They, They are going to be making change. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So that's the piece, switching it to the hope side. Okay, so that, because that makes me feel better. And I, I do think you're right. Like, I mean, the reason I do this podcast every week is because I talk about my, my I started it to talk about my own mental health and when I started talking, like people over the past few years, I think since COVID more and more with all of these suicides, with all of this stuff, people are going, we're struggling. Like, let's talk about it. So you're right. I think more and more people are are like, I want to talk about this. 
here's ways that I am dealing with it. What do we do? Like, how do we get out of this? I mean, in, in the in the history of our world, there's been really hard, bad times. I mean, we think about the mm-hmm. Holocaust, World War II, World War One, Civil War in our country. Like there, and and people have gotten out of it. Famine. Like think of all the great things that we have. Um, that yeah. in the history of the world, we so we've always gone historically through hard things. I think that technology is one of it's the most amazing thing, but it's also brought us to the to it our is. knees, right? So it's like one of those things where it's like, be careful what you wish for. Now we have to worry about AI and we have to worry about all these other things. But I think, so I don't sound like such a Debbie Downer if you are listening to this. I think you're so right, Julie, that, you know, talking about stuff, being honest, being real. Let me back you up real quick. What, do you mind if I ask what your ACE score is? I do not know my ACE score. Um, And I... I don't know, like I, what's funny is I didn't even know what an ACE was to be honest with you until I had a a lady who runs um, an ACE support group come on years ago when I was first po- a podcaster mm-hmm. in 2020 and I went into the mental health area and she kind of explained what it was. That was the only way that I found out, wait a second, this all make sense. And then on top of that, I was okay. diagnosed with complex PTSD, like probably a few years ago. So which all makes sense because mm-hmm. it stems back to the PTSD of witnessing my sister dying yes. in front of me at age two. So anyways, your yes. thoughts on yeah. kind of what we just said, I know it was a lot. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm glad you brought up the ACE. I can go through them. There's go 10- for it. 10 yeah. items on on the okay. A score. Um, so if you want to kind of keep track um, and any of your listeners, if you want to keep track and then I'll tell you kind of how that correlates to 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 what we're seeing. Um, so you just mark yes mm-hmm. or no on any of the 10 okay. items. I've, um, I've done this test, by the way. I just must have gotten a score and forgot, but go ahead. That That's okay, which, which okay. a lot of people do. Um, if, if it, you don't quite meet the criteria, but it's still something that happened and is significant to you, I would say, go ahead and give yourself a yes on that one. Um, so number one is did a parent or other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, or put you down? Okay. Go for it. Audience. I hope you're putting, keeping score. Number two is, did a parent or another adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? Number three is, did an adult or a person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way? Number four is, did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Number five, did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, or had no one to protect you? Number six, was a biological parent ever lost to you through divorce, abandonment, or another reason? Number seven, was your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? Number eight, did you live with someone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or used street drugs? Number nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? And the last one, did a household member go to prison? Okay, so what what is the... I had one, two, three, four, five yeses. Okay. So what is average is one okay. to three. For anybody who has four or more aces, they are 12 times more likely to have a suicide mm-hmm. attempt. They're seven times more likely to become an mm-hmm. alcoholic. 
10 times more likely to have uh, used street drugs. And then it also increases health outcomes as an adult. So the risk of cancer, asthma, autoimmune increases dramatically. Okay. So if you're listening to that, um, maybe take the quiz right? Is that what you tell people? And, um, and Mm -hmm. then if you, Mm -hmm. but like, I'm very self-aware, I'm very honest and upfront with my own struggles. And I try to share my story with other people. So they feel comfortable sharing their own and they know they're not alone. Right. So that's why you do it. I, I, um, I know that I am an ace and I'm very on it. I know that about myself, but to me, it's not a lifelong um, label that I, I'm not going to just be like, okay, I'm an ace. I'm going to work on myself so I don't get sick. So I don't, um, so I am a good parent, by the way, I'm not the best parent, but we're all hard on ourselves. Like my anger, all the things that we go through as mothers, it's hard being a parent. We, Um, we do the best we can with what we have. But what do you say going back to like high conflict? So you have a child, you give Mm -hmm. that quiz, Um, what do you tell a child when they find out that they're an ace? What's something you say to them? Yeah. So I typically don't actually do the ACE score with children. I do, um, what's something it's called the UCLA PTSD index, and it's geared for assessing PTSD in children and adolescents. Um, and it goes through, just about everything, because there's a lot that are missing on the ACE score. And the ACE score was tied to a study that was done um, at Kaiser. So I don't think it's completely, um, you know, comprehensive. What about like a medical injury? What about a major car accident? All these kind of big uh, traumatic events that could shape what's going on. Um, So I typically use the ACE score with adults, just kind of looking back on, you know, how the childhood was. When I do have a child who has experienced some of these, who've experienced abuse or witnessed mm-hmm. abuse, um, you know, it one, it's helping them build the the coping skills to be able to start talking about it. Yeah. One of the, the biggest things is, you know, and this is an old myth of like, we don't want to talk about it because it'll re-traumatize somebody. And that's not yeah. the case. You know, we we certainly don't want to re-traumatize anybody, but the only way to work through trauma is to really go through it and to process it in a healthy way yeah. and and come out the other side. Otherwise, you are constantly carrying around, you know, the traumatic experience that have happened with you, whether you acknowledge them or not. And they, they get heavy and they add up over time. Well, so it's I'll, first I'll tell building you that resilience. I'll- Yeah. I'll tell you that for me, I felt free when I found out some of this stuff because I felt like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like there's something, Mm -hmm. there's deep, deep stuff going on. And we obviously, our generation, I don't think we talked about this stuff. Um, So it's kind of for me freeing to know this, but for kids, it must be heartbreaking to be dealing with some of these kids at such a young age that are dealing with this kind of stuff, you know? It, it, it is, it really is. And part of it is, you know, kind of educating the child on what is okay and what is not okay. What's abuse, what's not abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And, and how do we know the difference and what do we do if it is crossing into abuse, how we keep themselves safe, um, how we make sure that, you know, they're safe in their environment and have steps to take if something were to happen. So first is really just empowering the child in awareness. Um, you know, I think a lot of times in situations like this, kids are so, so powerless. They, they are a product of their environment. They can't change what is happening between their parents. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about it earlier where they're expected to go to school and, and do all these things as if nothing is happening but if they're experiencing a high conflict divorce or if they've experienced abuse, they're not they're not going to be able to sit in class and and learn and do homework and things like that. Um, so really, you know, kind of taking a step back and looking at where that individual child is and what they need 
before we start adding in all the other things. Well, do you believe in, um, with kids in particular, um, some of the new things that are, have come out like EMDR, like, do you think mm-hmm. that that's beneficial for kids when they're still young to, to do those kinds of things? Yeah. So I'm actually trained in EMDR. I'm also trained in trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and so I, I do a little bit of combo of both. Um, I personally, the youngest I work with is three. Um, mm. I have a, a couple therapists in my office who work with the zero to five population. And with that group, it's really working with the parent to help them with with such a young child. Um, the, the beauty of EMDR with children is they process so quickly what would take sessions for an adult I can see a kid process in one session. Can you explain? I'm sorry. I just went straight into EMDR. So if I have a new (laughs) listener or somebody that's listening and doesn't know what EMDR, Julie, can you explain it to my listener? Yes. So it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And essentially what it does, it's a little misleading that it's eye movement because it it doesn't necessarily have to be, Um, but it's, it's bilateral stimulation. So some will use tappers, some will use their hand and you just follow their, you know, their hand or fingers back and forth. Some can use audio tones. So it's just alternating from one side to another. Um, and the idea is, is, you know, we, we build up a lot of resources before anytime there's any trauma work, we want to make sure that you have a safe place to go to. You have ways to, you know, kind of calm and reset the nervous system when it gets too activated. Um, so that's standard with with any trauma treatment. But once you get into the reprocessing, the way EMDR works, you don't have to do like traditional talk therapy. You think of a memory that you have mm-hmm. and the negative cognition that comes with it. And we kind of help you walk through that. Um, and then we come up with what you would like to replace that negative thought with, with more positive thought. And then we do the reprocessing. And so the, the way I describe it the best is if we've been through a traumatic experience and that memory is very vivid in our mind, right? We can, we feel like we're living through it again. With EMDR, we take that memory and turn it all the way down so it is like a grainy black and white image that no longer is activating. And it's it's pretty amazing how well it works. The, the other piece is, let's say, you know, you had a situation last week that was really upsetting and bothered you and we're focusing on that. It may be connected back to kind of an early childhood memory of, you know, maybe getting in trouble or not feeling heard. And so it kind of connects all of the things that are attached to it as well. Isn't it crazy? Like what our brains can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, also I've done EMDR and um, I, I actually want to go back to it. Um, and I think it's really amazing and, and, you know, beneficial for anybody that's gone as a trauma survivor, I would highly recommend it. Um, as far as I know, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but for the sake of time, I would love to talk about children that are deal have dealt with like a loss or children that have dealt with abuse, for example. So like if Mm -hmm. they're in a household with an abusive parent and it's a second marriage or something, And what do you tell the parent? Like, how do you tell parents that are, say it is a parent that really loves the child. They're in a second marriage or a third marriage. And the other parent that you find out is abusive, but the parent doesn't want to leave. Like what you must have been in this situation before. What do you do? Yeah. So the parent that they're living with is the abusive one. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> every, every situation is different. Um, again, one of the things is as, as parents, we, we do the best we can. Most of us, you know, kind of treat our children or, or raise them the way that we were taught. And most of us were spanked. Most of us were spanked with things. Um, and that, that constitutes abuse. Um, so there, 
there's a there's couple levels. different things. Yeah. There's levels. So, yeah. so if I have a family that comes in and, you know, I, I'm told that they're, the child's getting spanked with things or, or the types of punishments are abusive, I will have a conversation with the parents over what is abuse, what isn't, proper ways to punish, um, you know, ways to handle different situations. And, and honestly, spanking and corporal punishment doesn't work. We have all the research to show that it does not actually do what we want it to do. The how we were taught was all fear-based, right? You feared your parents. You you didn't want to get in trouble. Um, and and that is not the way that we should be raising kids. Fear-based mm-hmm. parenting makes it so the kids don't ever come to us when they have a problem because they're afraid to get in trouble, which ends up leading them to solving problems on their own and getting into more trouble, right? Because they they didn't want to come tell us in, in the beginning. So really kind of looking at what we're doing and what the ultimate goal is. Teaching somebody to do something or to have good behaviors and things like that. Do, do we as adults respond well to being yelled and screamed at and punished in work? Or do we do better with rewards and praise and compliments? You know, kids are no different. Um, so one really working with the parent on kind of that dynamic, um, and then letting them know what constitutes abuse. And if it happens again, I will be making a report because, you know, we're mandated reporters, um, Mm -hmm. as are, are many professions. Sometimes, you know, that is told to me and it, it crosses the boundaries and I have to make a report anyway. Um, in those situations, as a therapist, I try to have the parents involved as much as possible. I will have the parents in the room when I contact to make the report. In those situations, it goes so much better when DCFS knows that the family is involved and they are going to continue to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so for the most part, we just build up resources and and things are good. What What difficulty exists is when there is a parent who does not think that what they're doing is wrong and stands by the abuse. That's where it really becomes a problem. And okay. So what do you say in those situations? Like, for example, um, a parent, like say they are going through a divorce and the parent is abusive and the other parent has to go through the court system, which we both know is a very difficult, this is a whole separate podcast, but um, the court system in our country is broken in a lot of ways, very, family court. Um, and so, I mean, I know enough now from friends and things I know to know that it, it I've, I can't even believe the things that I've heard. Like you just think that I agree. if you go through a divorce and say you're a parent and you're like, let's say you're just a mother and the parent, other parent is abusive and abusing the child physically or sexually, you would go to court and you would think the judge will be like, that child goes to the mom full time and the mom will get half of what it doesn't work like that. What do you do in these situations? Your hair, you must be pulling hair out of your head. Like, I don't know how you do what you do. Tell me that. It, it, it is, it is beyond frustrating Um, for, for me as the professional, I will advocate for, for what's best for my child client. Um, even if that means going against, you know, the court and all the other professionals, I will continue to advocate for what's best because in, in my experience with family court, they completely dismiss abuse and they, they stand by that the parent should be in that child's life ultimately causing more abuse and more trauma through this whole process. Um, and, and if that is the situation, you know, really working with the child on ways to keep themselves safe, understanding what is abuse, what is an abuse, um, making sure everything is documented well, um, making reports if needed. It just, it is an uphill battle, but it, 
advocacy is one of the biggest ones. Is there, do you have hope that there's going to be change in the court system? I know that like, and I hate to be kind of all over the place, but I know it's the same in the foster system. Um, they want, they could put a child, match a child with a parent that's abusive and a drug addict and be like, we would, and the child could be in a safe home, but they would rather have the child with the parent that's abusing drugs and also abusive. It doesn't make any sense. So do you see that there's going to be change? Is this just in California? Is this all over the place? Like I can't even believe it. It is, it is all over the place. I'm licensed in California and Texas. And so I've had experience with both and it, it, it's bad everywhere. Um, Part of it is, you know, there, even in the, the last 10 years for my field, the amount of discussion around trauma and abuse and trauma bonds and um, the ACEs and toxic stress and things like that are, we talk about that so much more than we did 10 years ago. And Mm -hmm. so as we get more knowledge, as more research comes out and, you know, we begin to kind of filter into the rest of the, the fields. Um, So, so that's kind of the piece that the family courts have been doing the same thing. You know, they're, they're like every other system, our judicial system, our healthcare system, our education system. I could spend entire days on all the systems and how dysfunctional they are. Um, but you know, they're, they're very set in their ways and they don't like to change. Um, but as more and more comes out and as we continue to advocate more, um, I'm seeing, you know, some, some judges really understanding or some lawyers really understanding there, there are some cracks in the system where things are starting to come through. So I do think things will change. I I don't know how quickly. I hope it's sooner rather than later because it is awful to see just the the amount of perpetual abuse that happens because of the court system trying to do what's best. Um I'm also blown away by by how many people actually lie mm-hmm. in in the court system including professionals. It 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 blows my mind. Um, and that was something that I wasn't fully prepared for as somebody who, you know, kind of was outside the court system. I would have never expected anybody to lie, right? Like that's the time you tell the truth. Well, because you watch these shows on TV (laughs) and you're like watching law and order and you're like, they're going (laughs) to catch the bad guy. And the bad guy did this. And then the bad guy goes away for the rest of his life and nothing is ever. And it's just, that's not the reality. Thank God, you know, for the sake of time, because I do know a lot about you and I know what kind of therapist you are and, um, what an amazing person you are. Um, I know that, um, that it's got to be your passion and your life because this doesn't, this is not a nine to five job. This is taking your work home constantly, probably stressing out constantly about kids and, you know, you, you can never turn it off. I would love to know, I, I would love to know on a personal a personal question if you're okay with that. Yeah. What do you do to like unwind and kind of get yourself out of this because you can never turn it off? Yeah, it 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 is very difficult and something that it took a long time to learn as I kind of went through my career. I've been in this field for 17 years now. So it's gotten easier. Um but part of it is, you know, building in and making sure that I have time for myself, um, mm-hmm. a lot of meditation and just kind of, you know, unplugging from everything. If there has been a really challenging day, I will usually give my husband a call and let him know, like, I I need some time. Um, and so he'll make sure, you know, he's got the kids for the night and I can really just take some time to unwind. Um one of the biggest things and the easiest things that I found is I will, I will, I call it a relaxing shower. I will turn off all the lights in the bathroom, light a bunch of candles and just go take a shower in the dark. 
Um, and, and there is just something kind of relaxing about that, letting the water wash over you and just kind of cleanse for the day. Um, and I will usually listen to some kind of relaxation type of music. Um, and then, and then go into some meditation and then go to bed. It seems like to me, because I do kind of know about you, I sound like a total weirdo. I'm like, and then what happens? I'm your stalker. But I know from a friend. Um, so my therapist, doc, we know each other through mutual friend, but also we both know Dr. Nadine Macaluso, who yes. is my therapist for many years. And we kind of broke that fourth wall because she was my first guest on the podcast um, and now she's not my therapist anymore, but we're more friends. She's reoccurring. Mm-hmm. She's been on the podcast a bunch of times. What I love about her, because I've been in and out of therapy my whole life, is that she, with with therapists or psychiatrists, it's like very like, let's write notes. And then at the end of the session, time's up. And then you're kind of left going, I'm kind of like opening a wound of feeling in pain again, that this person's abandoning me at the yeah. end of the hour. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that a lot of people feel that way. I think what I foresee and would love to see more in your field and just, you know, being an outsider that talks to therapists all the time, just because of what I do is humanizing it. You know, I'm not saying you have to be best friends with your patients and there is a doctor patient relationship, but what I like about you is that you kind of like break that fourth wall as well. And I can tell for Dr. Nay, it's her passion. She loves Mm -hmm. helping people for you. It's your passion. You love helping people, helping people helps you, right? It's the best thing that we can do in our lives is be ha- I mean, I say it at the end of every podcast, be happy by making other people happy. Yes. That's why I do what I do. Um, so I just think it's, I'm so grateful to therapists like you of young kids, because I was one of those young kids that needed your help. I, and so, I was too. There's a reason yeah. I got into this field. Most sure. people go into your yeah. field because they were, <laughs> yeah, they went through it. Um, so in closing, Julie, um, where can people find you? I'm going to post all of this when the episode comes out, but say, I know you're licensed in Texas and California. Yes. Can you share your, how people can find you? Yeah. So I have a couple different websites. Uh, my main one is MFT at gmail.com. That's Mary Frank Tom. So marriage and family therapy. Um, I also own Peninsula Center for Children and Families. And that website is peninsulafamilies.com. Um, and then I also have thriveinschools.com, which uh, was born from my dissertation. I developed a trauma-informed school-based program um, to meet the needs of those kids that we were talking about directly on campus because those services just do not exist. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to break into the public school system, which is a bunch of red tape. Um, but that, that's really where the need is because the kids just aren't okay and they need the additional support. Yeah. I mean, thank God for people like you. That's all I can say. Thank you thank so you. much for what you do. Um, it takes a village as you know. Um, and you know, if you're a f- parent or like a friend that sus- like is suspicious of someone, I don't know, talk it, talk about it, find someone or you're a kid. I mean, kids should not be listening to this. Um, I don't know. There's like, we, it takes a village. We have to look out for each other. If you have a weird feeling, like go with your yes, gut, trust, right? Trust your yeah. gut. Yes. Trust your I gut. Also, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I also said like, if for any of the listener listeners, if you're wondering, you know, should my kid be in therapy? I personally wish that every kid by the time they were in high school was in therapy at least once mm-hmm. just so they know what it's like that way if anything comes up you know later on they they know what it's like already they can go back um but but being a kid is tough and nobody wants to talk to their parents their parents don't know anything including my own right but and i i do this for a living i work with kids and even to my own kids i you know i'm just mom Um, But having a place where a kid can go and really just talk about anything that's bothering them in, you know, a very safe way 
where they can get coping skills, they can get resources. I I think it is so beneficial. So there doesn't well, have to I, be something I say wrong. It, yeah, I say it all the time. Therapy saved my life. Um, if everybody was in therapy, guess what? We wouldn't have these issues. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, um, so if even if you're an adult, I just think everybody should be in therapy. And I think our mental health should be free. So I'm sure you agree. I, I um, agree. That's a, I agree. We could do like a four-parter, Julie. Um, we could. And we maybe could. we will. Maybe we will. In closing, everyone, thank you so much. Um, if this episode was a little bit confusing in the middle, it's because... Um, I somehow got unplugged. I don't know why, what happened. And then we came back in. So I'm hoping that my my miraculous editor, Celeste, thank you, Celeste, can fix this. So it's all piecing <laughs> back together. Julie, I'm so forever grateful to you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. In closing, everyone, be happy by making other people happy. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Mm-hmm.